Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Gross. It gives me great pleasure to welcome regular guests on Viewpoints and great advocate for public education across uh, Australia, Trevor Cobbold, who's the uh, convener of Save Our Schools. Welcome back to Viewpoints, Trevor Cobbold. Oh, hello, Henry. Pleased to be back. Ah, what's it like up there in Canberra where you live? Because it's a bit miserable down here in Melbourne. Oh, it's, it's, uh, I can't, can't remember a wetter year ever. Mm. It just hasn't stopped raining. It's just, yeah. Well, it rains up there and then you send it and dump it on and us, we, I we, would reckon. Yeah, we, you know, not, Canberra's notoriously dry climate. And, uh, you know, we've had du- over double our average rainfall this year. Gracious me, when it's raining down here too, it's stopped for a few minutes, but I daren't go outside without an umbrella. Anyway, uh, on another level there, if we've got bad weather, um, we've got some bad news on education. You just uh, published a paper, Save Our which has been widely reported in the media in Victoria, Trevor. Uh, It's called Victoria, a failed education state. Now, when I drive around the streets, and even on my own car, I see Victoria, the education state. You might like to uh, 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 enlighten us. Well, it's a bit ironic, isn't it? Um, as soon as the government, um, Andrew's government, came to power, the slogan was put on number plates everywhere, um, but it's proved to be totally premature. Um, the, la- the latest data from the NAPLAN results show that you, you can only say that Victoria is a failed education state um, because it's failed. It's failed on equity, and it continues to fail on equity. Um, we've based we well some examples. There's probably several categories of failure. One is that many disadvantaged students are actually uh, not achieving national minimum standards. Um, there's Virtually been virtually no improvement in in um, results for disadvantaged students over the last ten years, and there are huge achievement gaps between rich and poor, and they and in some in some instances they've actually increased over the last ten years. So to call Victoria an ed, uh, uh, the ed, the education state is really a misnomer. And all we can do is just to try and point out that the the next government, the next Victorian government, whoever it is, and whether it's coalition, Labor or a minority government, that has to be the focus for the next four years, is delivering on equity and education. Yeah, look, I'd agree with you. But our minister has come out in response in the media today to say Victoria's done as well as, if not better, in NAPLAN than nearly all the other states, your response to that? Yeah, but when all the other states are failing as well, it's not, it's not, a, great, not a great line, is it? <laughs> well, well, that's true, I guess, Trevor, yes. Uh, I'm just, I'm just uh, I mean, putting the minister's view to you. This is a classic diversion by politicians. Oh, we're doing better than other states. Well, on average results, Victoria's not doing too bad compared to some other states. Um, but when you look at the equity aspects of education, Victoria is doing just as badly as other states are. Australia is not a an equitable. Australia doesn't have an equitable education system. So comparing Victoria with other states is totally meaningless on equity. Who should we be comparing ourselves with then? 
Well, the, the benchmark ought to be is what 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 are the results of high socioeconomic status to kids? That's the benchmark. That shows what's possible. Their results, let's take the year nine NAPLAN results. The results of high SES kids are about four years of learning ahead of low socioeconomic socioeconomic status students and Indigenous students. Now, this is totally unacceptable. The, The goal has to be to get a quality of outcomes for for different groups of students. It doesn't mean you, ha- you expect every individual student to achieve the same as anyone else. But you should, we should, as a society, we should expect that different groups of children should have similar results, because there's no difference in ability, innate ability between Indigenous and non-Indigenous kids or between low SES and high SES kids. It's about the resources available to the families and, and, and to the schools, of course. So the benchmark has to be we've got to get all the kids from different social groups to the same level of achievement as high SES kids. Otherwise, this privileged group of children continue to have access to the highest incomes, the best employment, the positions of power in society. And that has to change. And education is a key factor in that. Mm. Now, taking a couple of the points you mentioned there, a large proportion of low SES students do not complete Year 12. What do you base that uh, that statement on? Well, that comes out of um, figures produced by the um, Report on Government Services, which is published each year by the Productivity Commission. And around, uh, I haven't got all the figures in, in my head, Henry, but... 20%. Well, 20%, yeah, 20% of all students of the estimated year 12 population, but it's something like 20, nearly 25, 26% Six. of low SES kids do not achieve, do not complete year 12. Now, year 12, or its equivalent, really is the minimum standard of education people need nowadays to function effectively in modern society. And if a quarter, if over a quarter of low SES, and it's probably even worse for Indigenous kids, are not achieving that basic level of education that enables them to participate in, you know, in their way, their way of choosing a society and employment, then that's discriminatory. It's highly discriminatory. We have to do better than that. Now, governments have been talking about doing better than that for as long as I can remember in teaching. (laughs) So (laughs) that's been some considerable time. Um, Why is it continuing to be, my metaphor, a broken record statement? Well, the, I mean, as you, as an educator, you know, there's lots of factors that impinge on kids' lives as they as they go through schooling. But there is a fundamental starting point, and that's funding. Now, we've we've heard over the years from the naysayers that funding doesn't matter. Well, money matters a hell of a lot in education. And what we've had in the in the past, well, I'd say ten years, but it's at least 
20 or 30 years is that the money has been flowing in the wrong direction. The money is not flowing to... Well, it's not flowing enough to disadvantaged schools, over 90% of whom are in the public system, and it's not flowing enough to disadvantaged students. The resources going into private schools, which are, you know, which in the main uh, support higher or more advantaged families, the resources have been flowing much more into those into those schools uh, than into public schools. the the gap The gap in funding increases is is quite remarkable, and all the studies. That you can look at. I mean, I we've we've looked at about I think it's nearly thirty peer-reviewed studies from around the world in the last seven or eight years show that money matters in education, and it matters especially for disadvantaged students. It matters for low SES students and Indigenous students, and these are peer-reviewed studies. And I do not know of one study that says money doesn't matter. Good point you make. Um, so in in addressing that, uh, and we've been through this ground before, we did have yeah. the Gonski, Gonski model, which has been um, basically dismantled in many ways. There's a review of the funding arrangements coming up next year, and we have a new federal minister, uh, Minister Clare, who's saying a lot of very positive things, what can he do when the feds fund uh, disproportionately the private schools to the public schools and the states the other way around? Well, there's a few, I guess, a few points there. One is that Jason Clare is mouthing the rhetoric and saying all the right things, but he doesn't control the budget. The the current funding agreement that ends at the end of next year is but was basically a conspiracy between the Morrison government and the state governments to defraud public schools. Private schools are currently funded at just over 100% of their schooling resource standard, which is the level of money needed to deliver a, a proper education. In Victoria public schools are now currently funded at just under 85% of their schooling resource standard and they're not even going to get to 91% by the end of the decade under the current arrangements. So unless there's a dramatic change... And the other factor is this is largely a responsibility... It's not totally a responsibility of state governments, but it's a largely responsibility of state governments and they have not been delivering to public education. We hear lots of complaints about the Commonwealth, and yes, the Commonwealth has been expanding, increasing funding for private schools much faster than for public schools. But a lot of the blame also lies at the state level, and the the states have got out of properly funding public schools under the current funding arrangements. And the, as you know, the over the next six months or more, there will be a new funding agreement negotiated between the states and the Commonwealth. And all 
all concerned with public education, principals' organisations, teachers' organisations, other community organisations such as ours, have to be in the game to put pressure on to ensure that we get a better funding deal for public schools over the next four years. Are you hopeful, given what Minister Clare has consistently said uh, uh, about where his heart lies in terms of uh, education systems? Yeah, it's good to know where your heart lies, but in the end you've got to deliver. And one of the problems is is the Labor government has come to power well, and agreed, before they even came to power, agreed to the Stage 3 tax cuts that delivered billions of dollars to the most wealthiest people in the country, and it's denuding the funding available to support critical, critically needed public services such as um, education, aged care, health. And it is a very difficult fiscal situation. And unless the government releases the releases its commitments in the next budget, then it's then it's gotta be it's gotta come down to public pressure. Mm, it is, and it, uh, they have to be enlightened about it. Now, you you, you also talk about another area which is of great importance to myself as a school leader and that is I guess the workload that we face um, and why it appears to be increasing not decreasing when more money is being pumped into parts of the uh, education system vis-a-vis uh, -vis the bureaucracy you might like to elaborate on what you found there Trevor. Well one of the in terms of the figures we've produced in the past that you know about, mm. public schools have got a... Let's take Victoria. Public schools have got a very small increase in funding over the last 10 years. To the credit of the Andrews government, they've increased funding per student in real terms, adjusted for inflation, significantly over the last eight years. And it came after the cuts that were made to public schools by the Bayou and Napthine governments. And the Andrews government has recovered some of that funding. Well, it's recovered more than that funding. But the problem is, a lot of it has gone into an increasing bureaucracy. It hasn't gone into the classroom. I mean, some funding has. I mean, most notably students with disabilities. But a significant part of that small increase in funding for public schools has gone into bureaucracy. The, it's been a vast expansion of numbers in central and regional offices in Victoria, and there's been a, a huge increase in administrative and clerical positions within schools that's taking up funding that could be used to more directly support students in the classroom. And the irony is... It's it's almost it's a case of bureaucracy breeds more bureaucracy. That 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 they produce more regulations, more compliance, more reporting, more performance monitoring, and that increases the workload of yourself and your staff, your your teaching staff. 
We were talking off air. That is so true, Trevor. There's uh, many areas that we get it all the time. We've got the Victorian School Building Authority. We have a Respectful Relationships Program. New ones are coming up all the time with the, with the very best of intentions, but they create, as you said, uh, greater workload for us and we haven't got the resources in the school um, to take care of those without adding workload to a lot of internal staff. It's... Uh, it's a catch-22 for us, isn't it? It is, and, and, and the evidence is that for all this reporting, all this compliance work that you do, we're not seeing any better results. There's been virtually, I mean, the NAPLAN results that we've analysed, there's virtually been no improvement in results for disadvantaged students in the last 10 years. Yet we've had all this compliance work, reporting on, on programs, Reporting on test results, it's got no better. And in some cases, I mean, the results for Year 9 low SES kids have declined significantly in the last 10 years. All this bureaucratic work is actually not... Well, it's not making... Well, I was going to say it's not making any difference. It is making a difference. It's actually not improving anything. Segues into the fact that um, there are people for a variety of reasons, and that would be one of them there... They're leaving the profession or not joining the profession in the yeah, first place. Yeah. yeah, I mean it is a disastrous situation. Well, and, is, is there any and, light? Is there any light in the well, tunnel? Look, Henry. Look, there's no choice for people. They have got to organise, and they've got to put public pressure on governments. It's no point doing negotiations behind closed doors or, or saying, oh, someone, someone's saying all the right things unless they deliver. Nothing's going to happen, and that is up to. It's it's a hard road, but it has to be come down to organised public pressure on governments. There's no other choice. And and you can do your bit by producing evidence-based research, which points up to the uh, areas in which uh, things yeah, well, that's are what, going yeah, backwards. That's what we hope to do: is to provide decent, quality research that helps support principals' organisations, teachers' organisations, parent organisations in making the case for a better deal for public schools and disadvantaged students. An interesting point we were talking off air, uh, Trevor. Um, very few of our professions speak publicly uh, on, on issues in... In, in any sort of critical way. Um, I probably happen to be one of them. We do come under uh, pressure, though, from time to time from some people further up the food chain in education that, well, the more you're critical, the more damage you're doing to the profession. I mean, we need to talk the profession up. We don't want internal people, you know, going out there being a wet blanket about the situation because that'll just feed... The um, the unhappiness uh, within the, within the profession. What do you say to to that sort of uh, feedback that people such as I get from time to time? Staying silent never works. Now that doesn't mean individuals should sacrifice their careers <laughs> to to the powers that be, but it does mean that their organisations need to speak out the principals' organisations, the teachers' organisations, the parent organisations. The organisations need to speak out. You can't sacrifice individuals to that cause. 
That's a it's a fair point, uh, Trevor. Uh, but tre- as I say, staying silent never works. I often say there's a quote around um, which is counterintuitive in some ways, but uh, probably relevant, and that is um, silence speaks loudest. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's never, 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 ever worked. Uh, politicians only react to pressure. Hmm. Man, you've uh, you've had a, a career where you've rubbed shoulders with a lot of politicians for many years earlier on. Yes, yes, <laughs> for many years. Yes, <laughs> you know the system pretty well, Trevor. Yeah, they don't they don't appreciate it, but in the end, they have to they they react to pressure. They react to the ballot box. Mm. And we we got one coming up here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, unfortunately, I I haven't seen much about. Commitments to public education, well, from the from the from the government or the coalition. Certainly, the Greens have been out there, but there's not much. I, I haven't seen much, Henry. No, no. Well, they've been preoccupied with uh, with other things by the looks of it. Trevor, as always, it's a great pleasure to have you on, and uh, you certainly keep people such as myself uh, hopeful with uh, with the work and the advocacy that you do on behalf of uh, public education because I think, uh, from my perspective, it's the public education system that ultimately is the backbone of the type of society that we have. Exactly. Good to talk to you, Henry. Thank you. That was Trevor Cobbold, um, convener of uh, Save Our Schools, latest paper, Victoria, a failed education state, and you can find that that's been taken up by quite a number of our um, major media outlets in Victoria.